morning. Hello, You're this is Attorney Vince Street. Davis. Today I will be replaying one of my most popular shows. I'll be back next week speaking on a new topic and taking your calls live. Thanks for listening, and see you next week on the radio. I'm sorry. Good morning. That was very strange. Um, this is Vince Davis, and I'm live. Uh, this is Get Your Kids Back Now, and this show is dedicated to keeping families together and to fighting tyranny of CPS and DCFS social workers. A secondary purpose of this show is to educate parents and relatives, or to at least show them where to get the necessary information for their fight. The final purpose of this show is to remind the people that change can be effectuated at the ballot box, at the state and federal levels. Let us unite, vote, and elect those who will make the necessary changes. Good morning. This is Attorney Vince Davis, and we're on the radio. Um, we're broadcasting live this morning. It's uh, Saturday, January 21st, two th- uh, yeah, 2017, and one of the first things I want to talk about is I saw a tweet uh, yesterday on Facebook, and it said that one of the first things uh, President Trump is going to do is repeal one of the biggest piece of, pieces of legislation uh, that affects uh, the juvenile court system. And I think it was about 1989-1990 when this legislation first came into effect. Prior to that, um, it was very difficult for social workers to take children away from you and for you to lose them um, through adoptions. As a matter of fact, in California, I'm not sure how all states all states did it other than California, but in California, they couldn't take your children away from you uh, until they filed a separate action with a bigger um, burden of proof, and it was called a Civil Code 232 action. And um, when uh, the Clintons passed, uh, and I forget the name of the law, this national law, it became much easier for social workers to maneuver, in my opinion, to maneuver, maneuver to take away your children. Um, so the tweet I saw that uh, President Trump was going to try to be repealing that, I don't know if that tweet was real or if it was fake. You know, you never know on Facebook or you never know on the Internet. But um, we'll, we shall see. Uh, the legislation was... Uh, sold to the American people as a way of better protecting children and families. And in my opinion, since I was there when it started, uh, it has done just the opposite. And um, unfortunately, our our system here in California uh, is based on, uh, in my opinion, revenue generating uh, for the counties.
Anyway, today our first topic was going to be um, the, the placing of children with relatives. And in California, that is governed by California Welfare and Institutions Code, uh, specifically Section uh, 309. Let me just take a moment and uh, read Section 309 to you. Um, you can, you know, now is the age of Internet and Google. You, you can easily find um, find this by Googling California Welfare and Institutions Code 309. So I'm going to Google it, and I'm going to pull it up right now, and I'm going to read it to you. And then we're going to try to break it down, because there's some important things that you should know. 309A says, upon delivery to the social worker of a child who has been taken into temporary custody under this article, the social worker shall immediately investigate the circumstances of the child and the facts surrounding the child, surrounding the child's being taken into custody and attempt to maintain the child with the child's family through the provision of services. The worker shall immediately release the child to the custody of the child's parent, guardian, or responsible relative, regardless of the parent's, guardian's, or relative's immigration status, unless one of the following conditions exist. And then the statute goes on to uh, list five uh, conditions where you would not release to a relative. But before we talk about those five um, conditions, let's talk about what we just read. One of the phrases or sentences says, the social worker shall immediately re release the child to the custody of a responsible relative. Now, one of the areas that I primarily practice in is representing parents and relatives in juvenile court. And I don't work on every case that's filed in juvenile court. You know, I only represent, I can only represent a handful of people at a time. But I can tell you from talking to colleagues, I can tell you from my experience in doing juvenile dependency cases since January of 1989, this doesn't happen all the time. And if my cases are a representation of what is going on in the juvenile dependency courts, um, I can tell you that this rarely happens. As a matter of fact, um, we do cases all over California, and in one county, um, it is their, apparently, their unwritten policy not to place children until the disposition hearing, which could be, on average, 45 to 60 days and sometimes more down the road. 
And during this entire time, what you have is you have children which are basically being warehoused in foster care. And that's not a good thing. By the way, I got that word warehoused from an appellate court. I think it was the United States Supreme Court decision. Um, and that's the word they used. We are warehousing children in foster care. Right now, I'm going to take a call. It's from area code 707, ending in 35. Hi. Good morning. Hello? You're on with Attorney Vince. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Did you, How are did you? you have a story to tell? I'm doing fine. I, I did do. you have a story to tell? I do have a story to tell. Go ahead. Um, well, my my children, um, I have four of them. I'm a single mom, um, a full-time worker, a CNA nurse. I take care of special needs. Um, adults living independently. I'm at work right now. <laughs> so um, my children have been detained twice from me. And um, in March, on the 15th of 2016, they were detained again. This is the third time. Um, my oldest daughter, she, you know, she got caught smoking marijuana in my house and I had come home from work and being mean to her sisters and, you know, I told her to stop and she went slamming her door and I was trying to talk to her and she had cussed me out and called me, you know, dirty names spit in my face. So I spanked her. I didn't beat her. I spanked her on her butt like a little kid. <laughs> um, and she ended up taking off to my stepfamily's house. It was gone for three days, and I found out where she was, and I said, you know, my daughter needs to come home. She's grounded. She needs to face her consequences. It's not okay. They ended up calling CPS on me, and, of course, my kids got detained. <laughs> and um, they left my son with me, though. My son is just turned 17 in November. Um, that's the only one that got to stay home. Um, I haven't seen my kids. I've only seen them once. since you know, I, We got to see them in, last month for the first time, you know, since March. Um my 15-year-old daughter, the one that, you know, um, got in trouble, she ran away. I didn't know where she was for two weeks. CPS didn't know where she was for two weeks. And then she ended up coming back home. And she's been home since August. <laughs> and they're trying to take her away from me again. And I told her, like, you guys are going to put her in foster home. She's just going to keep running away. Like, give, give them back, you know. I've already I've done their programs before. I've graduated everything. I've never tested dirty for them. Allegations where I'm... I abuse my kids every day, and I do drugs, and I drink, and I don't do any of that. I've tested clean. I've, I've done everything, and still no, no results. Um, my lawyer, he won't even call me back. I haven't even, I just don't know what to do. I need help. <laughs> so I, I turned to okay, Vincent's law. He, he told me to be on the air with you. So, let, let, me, let me ask you a couple questions. What county do you live in? I live in Mendocino County, and they're known for taking Mendocino? kids. <laughs> yeah, Mendocino County, Santa Ukiah. County huh? What is, what is the, what, uh, where is that in California? It's Northern California. Northern California, is it north of Sacramento? Yes, it's north of Sacramento. It's um, south of Eureka, Humboldt County. Okay, so you're over by Shasta County. You're near the yeah. Oregon border. Then. I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm a few, I'm a few hours away. Yeah. Okay. I live in Ukiah. Uh, not too long ago. 
Okay, not too long ago, uh, we were doing. We had a couple cases uh, up that way in Humboldt County and in uh, Shasta County. But here, mm-hmm. let me tell you what what I think you should do. Um, first of all, if you are not being allowed to visit, and the court there is a court order that's supposed to uh, be in effect that allows you to visit. What I want you to do is I want you to email me later because you may have a lawsuit against that county and against its social workers um, for mm-hmm. not allowing you to be, you know, to visit your children. The next thing that you should do is thing that you should do is get a go to the clerk's office and get a copy. Save your last three or four minute orders and say get a copy of your last three or four social worker reports and email them to me um, and I can review them and I can come up with a plan to let you know what you should do to get your children back and to get CPS off of your back. How does that sound? It sounds awesome. You know, I, I've been, I've been a single mom, you know, I left the kids' dad um, 11 years ago because he was very abusive towards me. I was with him since I was 15. I had these four beautiful children. Um, that's the only good thing he's ever given me. Um, I work my butt off. Um, I work full time. I work six days a week to provide for my family. I got off of welfare. I got off ahead, you know, I, just to make a better life for ourselves. I'm actually going to go back to college and pursue my RN license because I want to go further. I love caring for people. And that, but all these allegations that were made, you know, they didn't even come and investigate. I hadn't had the first six months of this case. I didn't even have a social worker come to my house. Nobody came to my house. No cops were called. I've never been arrested. I'm just, this is insane. I'm like, you guys have known, you guys know me. Like, this isn't who I am. And just because, and they placed my children with a 19-year-old male, my three girls, a 19-year-old male, my, my step-nephew, that just that boggles my mind. <laughs> um, and that my step family, you know, okay. they're known for child molestation. They're known for child molestation, and that was my big concern. Like, I don't want my children in that family because I don't want them to be hurt. They've never been hurt in my care, and I don't. And you know, my daughter at the age of five, the second time she was placed in foster home, she was molested by the foster brother, which was fifteen. I told the social worker. Social worker said my baby was exaggerating. How does the baby exaggerate a penis going into her mouth? That's five. Like, she's never seen nothing like that. And no help, no nothing. It's just it's mind-boggling to me. It's mind-boggling. It sounds like it sounds like this has been kind of a horror story for you. Would you yeah. do what I suggested? Okay. I will. So get that paperwork. Get that paperwork and email it to me. If you have a pen and a piece of paper, I'll give you my email address that you can email to. Okay, I'm ready. Mail it to V as in Vincent at VWDlaw.com. What is it? VBW? Let me repeat. Say that again. V as in Vincent. V as in Vincent at V as in Vincent W as in Walter D as in Davis Law L A W dot com. Okay, we'll do. I'll get all that gather all that information when I get off of work today at four. 
Yeah, thank you so much for listening to me. Oh, thank you for calling. I appreciate it. All right, thanks. Have a good day. Bye-bye. You too. Bye. So a call all the way from Northern California about social worker abuse. You know, the interesting thing is doing cases around the state of California, um, it used to be that some counties were a lot different than my primary home county, which is Los Angeles County. But over the past few years, it seems that, um, and maybe this is just my imagination, but it seems that counties have gotten together either at the social worker level and or at the county council level, the attorney level for social workers, and they are now prosecuting cases and doing things um, almost uniformly. Uh, Many years ago, um, I was asked to be a speaker at the California, I forget the name of the organization, but it's a very big organization of defense attorneys. And they have an annual, um, or at least they used to, have an annual uh, convention or seminar for uh, defense attorneys in Northern California. um, And I think it was in Monterey. Anyway, um, I remember going to this and being a speaker there, and I remember many of the local attorneys uh, that practiced in Northern California told me how different they practiced and how different the laws were implemented in Northern California versus uh, Los Angeles County. And I was kind of shocked because they were telling me things like, as an example, um, at the time there was a big crack epidemic in Los Angeles County. And if you had a baby, particularly at <clears throat> Martin Luther King Hospital, which is in Watts, which is in a um, uh, in South Central Los Angeles, uh, impoverished area, that uh, your child would be taken away immediately and we'd see you in juvenile court uh, on what is known as a, a drug case. Well, they told me in Northern California that at you know, during this time, that that didn't happen, that they uh, generally would leave the child with you um, if you were, especially if you were a functioning drug addict, they'd leave the child with you and they'd see the child every day, you know, at school or, you know, the social workers would come by uh, to check on the child frequently and to make sure that the parent was undergoing some type of drug treatment and uh, drug testing. And that was the exact opposite of the way uh, Los Angeles was doing. And it's been theorized by many people and that have told me that the reason why L.A. did it, what did that, did it the way they did it was because they were trying to maximize the amount of money that they were going to be making through the juvenile court system or through the juvenile dependency process from the federal government. So every time, you know, a child is taken in from you, um, this, the county is generating income for itself uh, from the federal government. Now, a lot of these frontline social workers and a lot of people will tell you that they are doing God's work and they are protecting children. And, and, and so in some cases, look, that is true. I, you know, there is child abuse. It does exist in the world. But the majority of people that I meet should not be having their children taken away from them. Uh, And now 
you know, going back to my story in Northern California, apparently they're doing it, the Southern California, what I will call the Los Angeles County model, and they're taking children away and placing them in foster homes. But I digress. Let me get back uh, to Section 309. Um, so one of the important things I want to say about Section 309 is that immigration status. So if you have a parent or a relative who is here illegally matter and the children should be given to them. Now, not too long ago, uh, I was in San Bernardino County and uh, I was representing a mother who happened to be a Latina. She also happened to be a local high school teacher. And at some point, um, I was arguing for the children to be released to the maternal grandparents who had flown into the country from a South American country, um, flown into the United States and gotten a place uh, here in San Bernardino County. Um, what the social worker's attorney didn't know is that these people were very, they were financially well off. They, both of the grandparents were doctors in their home, home country. And, and, and it turns out that the grandfather was this famous, well-known heart surgeon. And uh, he had a, a very uh, extensive visa. And he was, he came to the United States a lot to train uh, military doctors on, on uh, open heart surgery. But, to get back to the story, um, during the argument, the county council says to the judge, but your honor, the grandparents are here illegally. And I was shocked because I took that statement to be somewhat racist. Um, and I think, you know, the look, the look I gave the judge, I think the judge knew how I took that statement. And um, uh, what what I let the judge know was, um, and I had copies of their passports and their visas, these grandparents could come into the country at any time. And these visas were, I think the grandfather's visa lasted, you know, didn't expire for 20 years. Something, you know, something crazy like that that I had never even heard of, but it was because he did training for the military, for military doctors. Anyway, it, it became a moot point because the judge eventually uh, that day released the children back to my client. Um, but I, I just mentioned that story because here's a prosecuting attorney using the argument of illegal immigrants. The fact was that the statute, Section 309, says you know, immigration is something that we shouldn't even consider when we have to place these children with relatives because it's so important to get children with relatives. And I ask you to ask yourselves, in cases that you're involved in, does that really happen? For most of the cases I'm involved in, it does not. Okay, I'm going to take another call right now. It's area code 916, ending in 70. Good morning. Hi. You're on with attorney Vince Davis. Did you have a story to tell or a question to ask? Oh, I have a story to tell. Go ahead. Please share. Yes. Okay. Hi. So I had my kids taken. Well, one, the 
actually last December, Christmas Eve to be exact, I had a social worker who I actually used to work with for the county come to my home, conflict of interest right away. Um, she had smirk on her face like a Cheshire cat, which I found odd because I had full custody at the time. So when um, I got home, she was ready to go. I told her I needed to talk to the supervisor immediately. There was a conflict of interest and I didn't understand why she was there. She told me that she, it was Christmas Eve. She was the only social worker on duty. She's an emergency worker. Gave me the full spiel. She ended up telling me that if I did not sign this little 12-week program with her for unsupervised visitation or something like that, that um, I would have my kids placed in foster care because I had two kids with two different dads. Well, I knew right away she was full of it, but I also didn't want my kids go to foster care even for one night. But she gave me a loophole that if I let both my kids go with my ex, and I moved to a home within the next few days to a week that I could get both my kids back and I would try to go to some classes and everything would go away. So I did sign some paperwork with her. However, I put under duress under the paperwork. Um, my then 11-year-old husband dad said it's a baby who had never met this man. I tried everything I could this Christmas Eve. There wasn't much options. I even offered to go to a hotel. She was not having it. She wanted him to go to an actual house. So I went kids over to my ex with him. We got them all set up. He told me that this is probably be for a day or two to calm down and wait for the weekend to be over. So our plan was for us to follow the um, default supervisor after the holiday was over and find out what we could do. Waited. Social worker supervisor never called me back. And then all of a sudden, I ended up going getting a house without a hotel room for a few weeks. Long story short, my 12, my now 12-year-old never came home to me. His dad actually ended up filing to get emergency custody from me. The social worker showed up in court, told the judge that I was danger to my children, that I failed to protect them from an abusive relationship, but yet she wanted the kids to go to the parents who supposedly abused me. Um, my baby was not taken until May. I had already moved to a gorgeous home in the country on five acres. I had five-bedroom house. He had his own playroom bar, different from the life he lived with his dad. And he, uh, social workers came out. They saw him constantly. They, however, weren't giving us our case plan. They dragged it out. They kept telling me they left it at the office. And luckily for me, I kept all the text messages and emails proving this. I didn't know this was one of their tactics they used. So anyways, six months after the fact, they, I get a text message one morning saying I need to bring the baby to the courthouse because uh, I wasn't following services and they felt that I was not allowing social workers to come on my property. Um, I thought that was ridiculous. But anyways, the baby was then given to his father who has severe PTSD. But I just said, okay, now I'm in a court case. I have my six-month review hearing in a few days. Um, the social worker, I just missed calling 911 two nights ago because the lady who does my supervised visit yanked my son's arm and threw him in the back of a van because she was in a hurry to take off. I, I along with three other witnesses, ended up calling 911 because she sped out of the parking lot with him. So because of that, my case, which was set to close, now had stipulations on it, and they've actually terminated my visits with my son while they supposedly investigate. So that's where I'm at right now. And how? when did this ordeal start? December 24th of last year. Of 2015? Uh-huh. Or 16? 
I'm sorry, 2016. 15, sorry, 15. Okay. Hold on a second. I'm yeah, just writing some notes down. How many children do you have total? Two. And how old are they? The baby is going to be turned three April 7th, and my son turned 12 September 7th. And your son is placed with his father through the family law court, you said? Yes, based on the social worker report. And I suppose we can um, have was- visits with him and check the plot. Did you say you can't have visits? They, yeah, the judge ordered no contact to testify with everything CPS is asking me. It's been over a year. Okay. Did the, did you, did the social worker make up any reasons and allegations against you? No, she simply said I failed to protect. But how did, I mean, why I did she say? I'm sorry? Why did she say that? I mean, what was her basis for saying that about you? Because uh, two nights before, my ex had a PTSD episode where he did call 911. He was not violent in any way. He was simply pacing, making accusations at me, that I was cheating on him with one of the nurses I worked with. And because of his erratic behavior, his erratic eye movement, the clenching of his hands, and he was doing like a tapping. I worked with Spike, so I knew all the signs of an episode. Waited upon, my roommate actually ended up calling 911. She never saw anything, but she was hearing everything. When they responded, the cops said he met off criteria for a 5150, asked for the guns in the home and everything. Um, they actually didn't end up booking him on a 5150. They lied, they ended up booking him on a domestic violence because paperwork for that is so much easier. I have since filed paperwork against both officers though for for a fictitious report. He was in the, he ended up getting released the next day with no charges. But because of that, they contacted CPS. CPS got the little hands in it. Well, is the because of that, is the child placed with the guy that allegedly had a PTSD episode, the younger child? Yeah. Well, they're, but they alleged that the report says that he struck me on my hip on my leg and held me captive. And yeah, that's the place, that's the person that they put my kid with. Well, I don't understand. How, how could that happen? I would love that answer myself. I've been asking that for well over a year now. They keep saying because I wasn't doing services, but how could I do services when I don't have them? Then they said that I was not letting a social worker on my property, which I find very funny because every other social worker seemed to make it on my property. I have a gate. All you do is push a button and it opens up. So now they've made this case personal because I will not stand down. And our recent co-parenting session, the co-parenting... I'm sorry. You said... Are they retaliating against you because you are trying yes. to fight for your rights? Yes. The lady who actually does my co-parenting asked me to report her the other day because she wanted me to have a reporting in case she could go to my hearing. 
And on there, she stated that they are making this personal. She said she has read through every report of mine. She goes, there has never been a piece of evidence whatsoever against you in this entire case. She goes, you pissed off the wrong people, and now they are retaliating. Because she actually asked the dad in our co-parenting session about the kid, about um, the incident that I had to call 911. And he said that the social worker who dropped him off seemed very erratic, rushed getting him out of the car, and that never made it into the report. But he's even okay. stated to her he does not feel like he's having a kid. Wait, say that again. I didn't quite hear you. He said what? She asked him if he felt he needed, why he needed the baby from me. He said he didn't want the baby. He never did. He just wanted his one day a week visit with him. He said social workers forced his hand to take the baby because um, if he didn't, he'd go to foster care. So this man who's barely getting treatment right now for his PTSD has my child. He works nights, so he's getting two hours of sleep a day so that he can stay up all day with our baby. He has told, uh, he's told everyone he does not want custody from me. He's the one that needed the help and that my child should be placed back with me. Every time he says this, social workers give him more services to do. When is your next court hearing? On the 30th. Just a few more days. You say 20th or 30th? You say 20th 30th. or 30th? 30th. As in 3-0. Do you have a copy of the social worker's report for that hearing? I believe I do. Is there any way that you can email that to me so that I could review it? Yes, I can. Okay, please email it to me. Do you have my email address? Yes, I do. Okay, so email that to me. I'm going to review it. And then call my office today. There will be a secretary there from 9 to about 4. Call my office today and make an appointment to talk to me on Monday. Okay. I think I have an appointment with you on Wednesday, but I'll see if they can make it Monday. You try to make it move. Tell me you want to move it up. and You talked to me this morning, and we'd like to talk on Monday. Okay. All right. Okay, well, so you know what? Thank you for calling. Thank you very much for calling and sharing your story. Okay, so I'm going to take another call right now from area code 951, ending in 65. Good morning, Good morning. Mrs. Davis. Um, I'm calling in to say a, a story, but a quest story and a question at the end. Go ahead. Okay, um, my granddaughter who was born. June 2015, was placed into a foster-slash-adopt home at three days old. This is before we even knew she existed. Um, our son, he had some little hiccups that he had to handle, drugs, etc., but that didn't stop that as loving him. And in October, end of October, our other son, which is his twin brother reached out to us to inform us that we have a granddaughter placed in foster care and she needs to come home to family. We're big believing, you know, this family here raised a child within family so they know their history. Um, we reached out to the social service office 
the following day, which was like the beginning of November, um, just to say, what can, what steps can we do? How can we bring her home? We want her home. Um, the social worker informed us on the phone that family comes first. It trumps all caregivers, etc. And let's see what we can do to bring her home. So we we were pretty excited to see what's the next steps. And this was in November, um, just to start the process rolling. Then it took until the end of November for the social worker to, after his calling back and forth, said, we want to start visiting, we want to see her. Um, the social worker said, we need our son down here so we can start the visit. So we argued, says, no, we're, we're grandparents. We want to bring her home. Our son's not ready. He, he had to go to a drug treatment program. But we want to bring her home so, we, so when he is ready, he can be in her life. At least she'll be with him family. We didn't get approval for our first visit until the beginning of December and for a one-hour visit. At that time, we met the foster parent um, and also the social worker. We were informed of all these medical conditions that our granddaughter had. Um, like I said, she's only a little baby, but she had delayed speech already. She had all these other acid reflux. Everything you can imagine was wrong with her. And I'm not sure if it was that they were trying to scare us, but we were like, it doesn't matter what's wrong. I mean, we're willing and able to take care of her. There's doctors everywhere. We're we're an hour, two hour drive away, but we can do everything we possibly can to make sure we can provide for her. Um, then we're informed by the social worker um, that our next visit won't be until January of 2016 because of all the medical conditions, all the doctor's appointments and I'll not have to reach out to the caregiver to start scheduling, which we understood. We we didn't. We were playing. We were just believing the social worker that you know family comes first and everything. Um, so when Christmas Eve we reached out, say, can we start visiting again? When's our next visit? It won't be until January. So January we went to the visit. Um, we kept going. Then February went to the visit. Then the beginning of February, the social worker, well, January, we had our home inspection done and we passed. Uh, we had our um, pass, even my other son living with us, everyone passed everything. It was fine. We were ready to go. We had a room available, prepare for a granddaughter. Then beginning of February, on a Saturday, the social worker called me and asked, would we be okay, me and my husband be okay for our granddaughter to be adopted out to the caregivers? My husband was away doing his military part, and I, I said, no, we're not okay with that. And we believe this family here, it's not just me and my husband, she has her great-grandfather, her great-great-grandfather that wanted to meet her, her great-grandmother, everybody wanted to be around to help raise within family um so we said no we I, I i don't think she should be adopted out we have no problem later on them visiting but she should be within family so the social worker said talk to your husband because he's on military her concern was within the military he may be leaving and deployed and how can we raise a child with one family one person and i explained being in the military um even when husbands or wives deploy whichever one it's a major family support system, not within the family, but the military has their family support, as in the army support system, military one source, they reach out, Red Cross, they're all there for you. So my husband called the following 
Monday or Tuesday to say once again, no, we we want her home. She deserves to be home with her family. Um, middle of February, I had another visit, and the caseworker, well, I'm sorry, the caregiver asked me, "Don't you do? Is it okay if we adopt her? Don't you think it's wrong for you to be pulling her out of where she's been from birth to a stranger's home?" And we're like, "She's not a stranger. She's she's family." And as a caregiver, foster person, they're supposed to support reunification. And I explained that, um, you know, family is more, the roots never change on a child. You know, that's where they're from. And then all of a sudden the caregiver just changed her friendly attitude to me. And the, the, the visit ended shorter than the hour that we were allowed. Um, March came, and that's when we had our first court hearing. And then that's where we heard the social worker's attorney saying that, do not move the child. Um, the judge not agreeing with our granddaughter to be moved. And we were confused, and our son's attorney explained to us that it's already too late, that we should have gone to a November hearing. And that's when me and my husband like we didn't even we weren't even informed of a November hearing. If we knew there was a November hearing, we spoke to the social worker in November. She should have told us. He goes, well, if you went to that hearing, this could have been a different outcome. It's already too late. Um, there's nothing you can do. So that's when, of course, me and my husband started to panic. You know, so we started reaching out to a few attorneys. The attorney has already told us we can take your money, but it's already too late. They have a time frame when a baby's in foster care, six months to find a placement, and then it's, you can't do anything. Um, so then we reached out to our son and said he has to come out of getting some help that he has and come back to California and help us get his daughter out because we, we can't do it on our own now because it's like we're not even on the list. Um, so when it, our son came out, he was able to go to the courthouse and he's able to get copies of documents and the document that was filed in March written by the social worker and signed by her supervisor stated that me and my husband agreed for our granddaughter to be adopted out to the caregivers and that we wanted no further contact with our granddaughter. So we were lost. So once again, we started calling and asking for help. I reached out to grandparents, advocates, um, some advocate sites, and then, all these documents that we saw that we should have been given, like a JV-285, all these other things, we weren't aware of. So, okay, let's write it. I wrote to the judge, and we wrote a letter to the court explaining that all the steps that we were told of being informed that we had a granddaughter, and all, but also her heritage. And like, she has a great-great-grandfather still alive that, that wanted to meet her. Um, his family has Indian heritage, even though they had no, it was never whatever sponsor, whatever you call it, but on their death certificates, it shows Indian heritage. She has all this history and, but a major family support system, um, but still nothing occurred, no changes. So I, I reached out to the White House. I wrote to the governors. I wrote to the, to everywhere. And someone informed me about the ombudsman office in Sacramento. So I ended up writing to them a couple of times with no response and finally response and 
that's when they contact the social worker's office, the abandonment office contacted the social worker's office, and they noticed there was over 17 different state and federal laws that were broken. The social worker's office all of a sudden tried to change their direction, say, we want her placed with us now. And we want our granddaughter placed with us now. Um, they contacted us on a Thursday or Friday, said, we're going to do a seven-day grievance or thing for the caregivers. We're going to go to court. We're going to allow a um, granddaughter to be moved in with us. So we were approved for a six-hour visit. We were able to bring our granddaughter home for six hours, meet so many family members. Um, but then all of a sudden, going to court, the judge placed a major halt and said, no one's moving um, our granddaughter. She stays where she's at. We're going to go to trial. And this trial, some days, it was like three, four days a week. Um, and they called out the worst names to us as grandparents and also to our son. I mean, they were labeling it rapist, child abuse, everything you imagine just being beat up in court. And it, it was heartbreaking because nobody was stopping anything from being said in the court. My son was given at the end of three or four different attorneys because they kept saying, you know, conflict of interest, I have to dismiss myself. Um, it came to just last week or the week before when the judge said, okay, we're going to do a two-week trial nonstop all day long. And that's when me and my husband finally had an attorney, and we already been paying out 10000 over 10000 so far, an attorney, and constantly days off of work. And if we went for two weeks straight, more attorney fees was going to cost over $20,000. My husband was going to lose his job. Um, we were already informed by the new attorneys that placement with us is not going to take place. It's more of pushing towards placement with our son, but that also probably would not take place. So we had to explain to our attorney that we couldn't afford him anymore. And that if for some reason that she'd want, if our grandma is looking for adoption, we're here to adopt her. We know we're not on the placement list now. Um, she shouldn't be with a carrier, but she should be adopted within family. And then because we said we can't have an attorney anymore, we can't make it to this two-week hearing, we were told that we've dropped out. You know, we want nothing to do with our granddaughter. Then our son, he called his attorney and said he can't do it, and we, which was a shock to us once again, saying, okay, he was our last hope. Um, and so when everything was stated that it's going to be settled and our granddaughter will be placed and stayed with the caregivers, the a social worker ended up calling me a few days later and saying, we're still going to push on a last report in front of the judge to say you want to adopt your granddaughter, but you need to start visiting again. The other social worker from who does our visits called and said, I'm not sure if you can have visits because you guys gave in, and which I explained to the social, we didn't give in. We're here to adopt, and she's out for adoption. But she should never have been placed and stayed with the caregivers when we passed it. We passed our background and home inspection twice. And the judge placed a hold on it. The social workers at the timeline in the reports, the social worker went on stand and said it may have been a communication error in her reporting and it's like why would you have social workers who have communication problems saying we want nothing to do with her so as heartbreaking as it is um, the only thing I can tell families out there is 
get an attorney right away instead of being dragged through all this, even though social workers may say it's in the family's favor. It's not. It's not in the grandparents' favor. And we try and get to read the reports. We didn't have access to the reports. Our son had to pull the reports. And the lies that were written there was is heartbreaking because one day, you know, our granddaughter, she will want to know who we are. You know, she will read those reports and thinking that she reads that we want nothing to do with her. It's, it's heartbreaking because a, a child, in my opinion, should be raised within family if family is available. So that was my story. But my question to you, Mr. Davis, is we were informed by one social worker that they're going to be pushing still for us to adopt our granddaughter. But another social worker stated that we need to go to some type of mediation to see when we can have updates on our granddaughter from the caregivers who's going to be adopting her out around May is when the hearing is for the finalization of the um, placement. So what's the question? Um, should we go to the visit still and still push to see if they can, if we can adopt? Or is it because two social workers the, saying the two totally yes. different things? Okay. The answer is yes. Um, unbeknownst to you, um, first of all, let me say this. I can't believe that this happened to you. But I can because it happens all the time. I hear from relatives especially grandparents just like you who tell me this, these crazy stories all the time. Um, it reminds me of a case that I did a few years ago where the relatives of the child found out about the detention hearing. And they flew from, and I believe it was Oklahoma, they flew from Oklahoma to attend the detention hearing. The judge, the social worker, all knew about these relatives. Well, fast forward the case about 18 or 19 months, the child still hadn't been placed with the relatives. And then the foster parents, who wanted to adopt this child from the very beginning, um, started fighting for the child. Uh, the relatives uh, hired me, you know, very late in the game. <clears throat> we went into court where the social worker admitted basically wrongdoing, holding up the relative's application because she thought the child was doing well in the foster home. And And by the way, these foster parents are very nice people. But they were being told by the social worker that they would be able to adopt, and they were being told that there were no relatives. In your case, the foster parents know that there are relatives. But to make a long story short, the judge would, would not move the child and let the foster parents adopt the child. Now, I didn't tell you anything about these relatives from Oklahoma, but um, the the husband was a principal of the local high school, and he was a minister in the local church. And his wife was a fairly well-to-do businesswoman. Uh, her family had a business in mining, um, you know, around in several states within the United States. And in this small town where they lived, 
there were probably 60 immediate relatives that lived in this town. Their town, their family basically owned the town. But because they were out of state, the social worker decided to leave the children, the child here with a foster parent here. And the child ended up getting adopted. Um, so, you know, earlier I read Section 309. I read part of it. But, uh, you know, family is first. That is the law. But there are many things that get involved with social workers not following the law. For example, I've been involved in cases where a foster parent gets a child or is allowed to adopt the child because they have some type of connection with the social worker or with CPS. You know, uh, social workers have friends, and some of those friends are looking to adopt, you know, babies. You know, sometimes social workers, I get the feeling that social workers do favors for foster parents because foster parents help social workers out in most cases. And then sometimes, you know, uh, I get the feeling that children are given to foster parents as a sort of quote-unquote reward for being a good foster parent over the years. So in your particular case, from what you've told me, and, and, and perhaps there's a, another side to the story, I don't know, but from what you've told me, this is outrageous. They basically uh, stole your grandchild from you. And unfortunately, um, you didn't find a lawyer early on to, to fight your battle because you trusted the social worker. And because of your trust, you know, it looks like that you probably will lose this grandchild uh, to a foster parent. And when that happens, when the foster parent adopts the grandchild, you and your family and parents have no connection legally to that child, no relationship with that child. The foster parent doesn't even have to let you visit the child. So um, I want to thank you for coming on the show and sharing that with us. Um, would you mind telling our audience what, uh, what county this is taking place in? This is in Orange County, Orange okay. County, California. Interesting. Right. So our callers this morning, um, the first one was from Mendocino County up north. The second one, um, although I don't think it was mentioned, I could tell from her area code, was from San Diego, excuse me, Sacramento, California. And now your, your horror story is from Orange County here in Southern California. Well, I, I, I'm sorry that this happened to you, and uh, I can tell from the story uh, that you have come to talk to our office uh, to help you further with this battle, and I hope that um, we, we are going to be able to help you, if not get the child, which is, you know, not the probability, I want to be honest, but um, mm -hmm. maybe we can get some justice in uh, the federal court uh, bringing a civil rights actions because your the ombudsman was probably half right. Your there have been so many laws broken here. Uh, it will make it's going to make your head spin. 
and uh, we will be happy to that's amazing justice yeah we just don't want this to happen to any more families it's the children that's going to have to live with the unknown not knowing why didn't my family want me and the result is we did you know these children don't deserve it um so we appreciate your help and yes we happen to your office and you are a wonderful man and we are but i wanted to get my voice out there so the people who just started and found out about their family, get an attorney fast. Don't trust. It's, you lose. Right. <laughs> you know, I want to tell you but a quick thank you story. About, mm-hmm. uh, I want to tell the audience a quick story. About three or four months ago, a, a mother contacted me, and she wanted uh, me to represent her. She had a father, and uh, her father, the mother's father lived in Colorado. The social worker in Los Angeles County had promised the grandfather in Colorado that he was going to be getting the child. And that was about three or four months ago. On Friday of this week, past week, this mother texts me and said, we need to hire you immediately. And I text her back and I said, you know, why, what's going on? She said, well, my attorney just told me at the Friday hearing that the way things are going, that the foster parent is going to be able to adopt my child. And I text her, I said, well, what happened to your father getting the child? And all she said was, he's been getting the runaround for three or four months by the social worker. This is Los Angeles County. Your case was in Orange County. I hear about these yeah. cases from all over California. To be honest, I hear I get calls from people um, all over the country because my, you know, the website doesn't have California boundaries. People Google me or look things up and they're calling me. I hear these stories from all over. Something needs to be done, and I hope that your case will be a landmark case in uh, the rights of relatives. Thank you for calling. So that's why this morning I was talking about Section 309. We didn't get to finish going over 309. Maybe we'll do that next week. But if you heard this lady's story, please do not rely on the social worker. And by the way, I have found out over the past year or two that a lot of social workers tell relatives and tell parents, oh, you don't need a private attorney. You'll just be wasting your money. Happening twice, and it's only, you know, I've only heard of it twice. But imagine if you're a grandparent and you're told, don't hire Mr. Davis, you don't need him. And then four months later, you find out that the child's going to be adopted by the foster parents. Do you think you got played? Do you think you got used and manipulated? You have to draw your own conclusions. Uh, We're almost up uh, out of time with this show today. Uh, I want to thank everybody who called. I want to thank everybody who called and didn't get through. Please call next week, Saturday, 8 a.m. We'll be going live on the air and we'll be taking more calls and giving out more information. I'll continue with the relative placement, and I'm also going to talk about suing social workers. Uh, 
and getting justice that way as well. Goodbye.